Learn about the Force, Luke. Look, I can take you as far as Anchorhead. You can get a transport there to Mos Eisley or wherever you're going. You must do what you feel is right, of course. But how am I to know the good side from the bad? You will know when you are calm, at peace, passive. Mm. A Jedi uses the force for knowledge and defense. Never for attack. I'm allowed to train you, so I want you to watch me and be mindful. Always remember, your focus determines your reality. If you live long enough, you see the same eyes in different people. I'm looking at the eyes of a man who wants to run. I don't have time for this. Do you have a land speeder or speeder bike that I could hire? You are a Mandalorian. Your ancestors rode the great Mythosaur. Surely you can ride this young bull. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 396, The Wise Ones. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Yoda to my Maz Kanata. We're all old and wrinkly here. We've got Carl LeClaire. Mm, short we are, but wise we will be. Ha <laughs> ha! As long as I have, you see the same eyes in different people. I think Maz is technically older than Yoda, if if uh, if Han's to be trusted. If she's been running that watering hole for over a thousand years, Yoda never got to a thousand. Uh, it's true. It's true. But the question <laughs> is, Han has been known to exaggerate. True. So. Very true. Um, but that's right, everybody. We are we're discussing some of the wise characters from Star Wars. Um, so there, there's so many wise characters around the Star Wars universe, but we're going to hit on some of the big ones in this week's episode. We're going to look at uh, Ben Kenobi, Yoda, Qui-Gon Jinn, Maz Kanata, and good old Quill. Um, some of these really important characters um, in the Star Wars story that kind of set our, our heroic characters on their journey by offering some sense of wisdom. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about all of these with you, Jason. And I always, I love it when we have an opportunity to talk about something that spans the entirety of the star Wars saga. That's always a blast yeah. to me. Yeah, I know it really is. And, and we're, we're covering, you know, length and breadth of, of star Wars here, at least, especially I know from my list, cause I, I've picked some moments and things I want to talk about that, you know, uh, aren't just from the movies either. So, Ooh. You know. Ha, 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 ha. Love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what, that's what we're going to be diving into in, in this week's episode. Um, but before we do, we had a, a poll from last week's episode where of course we've got to break down the, 
season two trailer for the Mandalorian. We just simply asked all of you, what was your favorite moment in this trailer? And uh, we got quite a few responses. Once again, Jason, what did folks really enjoy about this particular trailer? Yes. Um, so we got uh, responses over on Twitter and Facebook. We've got, um, let's see in fourth place with one vote each. We've got the Tuscan on a Bantha. Thank you, jazz. Um, Din Djarin walking through the ice cave, the uh, lock as foils in attack position. And uh, when Din kneels down in the snow with a child, that one was yours. Yeah. Carl. Love that moment. I just, I like snow. I like snow planets. And I love how it's almost like the child is leading at that point. Like he leans down to, I, I almost get the sense of he's like, all right, so what do we do now? Or like, where are we going next? Like, I don't know why, but it just feels like in that moment, the child is the one leading Din. So I just, yeah. I, I kind of love that, that way he kind of lowers himself, humbles himself to, to see what the child is, is doing. Cause I, I, you know, if this is indeed Ilum, which a lot of us are speculating, right? Um, I think it'd be really neat that they're there because the child is going to have some sort of experience more so I think than Din, it, since the child is the one that's specifically force sensitive. So to me, it's a kind of neat little moment where he's letting the child do the leading. So um, I just yeah, love, I love yeah. that shot. It's a great shot. It's a really cool shot. And I'm very excited to, to see what happens out in that episode or episodes when they're on what we assume to be Ilum. So it's great. Um, in third place with two votes, we do have the speeder bikes uh, pulling off the cliff, you know, racing off the cliff there. That's a really cool shot. Um, in second place with four votes, we've got Sasha Banks as the mysterious woman uh, standing there in the crowd watching the Mandalorian and the child. Um, and then number one, probably to no one's surprise, including my own pick here um, <laughs> with six votes, we've got, uh-oh, it's the Whistling Birds. <laughs> when the whistling bird get activated and the child closes up his little bassinet thing and is like, nope, nope, we're good, we're good for now. Uh, so, yeah, and it's just a funny moment, uh, you know, that really kind of highlights the comfortability that these two characters have with each other and the fact that they both know how to read each other now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. they've been in. They've been with each other long enough. They're like, okay, I know what's about to happen. <laughs> so <laughs> I love, I love that moment. But yeah, that's number one. It's so good. It is. It's, it's, I mean, it's already my favorite GIF to send people, even if it doesn't make sense. I just like to send it. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but thank you everybody for sending us your favorite parts of that trailer. It was, it was a doozy. It was a good one. Um, it was. And uh, we're, we're both here sitting here going, are they going to give us another one? Cause we'd like one, but we're not sure if we'd need one. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, we have a, uh, we'll have a matchup for you at the end of the episode, which is derivative of the episode. So hopefully you'll have some fun with that. Um, but also mm -hmm. just a reminder, we're continuing on our, uh, a new hope radio drama journey tonight. We've got, we're up to episode seven, um, the Han Solo solution. So, <laughs> We're just uh, we're getting the halfway mark. The A New Hope radio drama is 13 episodes, and my goodness, they're all great. So uh, I love that we're making our way through it. And I can't wait, Jason, once we're finally done playing it at the end of the episodes, we're finally going to actually sit down and have an entire episode just dedicated to that 
radio drama, which I can't wait for. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Um, there's so many great things in there, but there is one glaring issue I have with it. And, but I'll, I'll save that for our discussion. There's, is one decision that they changed a little bit that I, I don't agree with. Um, Does it have to do with droids? No. What does that have to do with? Tarkin. Oh, can I guess? Yes. The fact that there, he's considering um, uh, abandoning ship at the end of the end of the story. Uh, yeah, and the way that um, Ma- is it Madi? Yeah, it's tries Madi. to. Yeah, Madi's seems to be swaying his thoughts on different things back and forth. Oh, see, I loved that edition. I thought it was so good. But we'll talk about that when we get there. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we when we get there. So I'm trying to think yeah. if that's even come up yet and where we are. Um I don't think so. I don't I don't think so either, but just know that there's some really interesting um added stuff with uh Admiral Mahdi and and Tarkin. It's it's very yeah. a very interesting take. It is. It is. So anyway. Um yeah, the wise one. The All wise right. ones. Uh, so, right, like, wise characters are kind of a big deal in Star Wars. They're, I mean, they're, this is traditional, you know, uh, this is the myth. This is the meeting, you know, the, the hero meeting the, the wise character who's going to guide him at the beginning of his or her journey. Um, and Star Wars is, of course, ripe with, with these types of wisdom characters. Um, and I think what's what I really enjoy about these types of characters is they they guide the hero based on their own experiential knowledge, right? Like wisdom is gained through life experience, um, and it you know wisdom indicates that you know what's the right way to go in life, um, and that comes really you know wisdom is really acquired over time. I I love the distinction between wisdom and knowledge, um, which good old Dex even <laughs> reminds us. Yes. Yeah. Yes, there's a, a difference between knowledge and uh, <laughs> wisdom. Well, if droids <laughs> could think, there would be none of us here, would there? Um, but yeah, no, right? Like it, it the, the there is uh, wisdom is more about uh, experience than anything mm-hmm. else. Um, and uh, yeah, so we have lots of wonderful Star Wars characters who offer some of their own acquired wisdom to very key characters. And, you know, I mean, this goes all the way back to the original movie with a new hope, um, you know, in star Wars, when Luke finally gets to meet old Ben Kenobi, that wizard in the, that wizard in the desert, um, it becomes quickly apparent that he is a very wise character and he is going to help guide Luke at the beginning of his journey. So, um, to me, so we're obviously Jason and I are each going to share different pieces of wisdom from these characters. We may have an overlap, but I have a feeling we may not actually, Jason, since we were trying to pick something different. Um, so my moment for yeah. Ben Kenobi, the piece of wisdom I really enjoy is when he says, you must do what you feel is right. Um, and what he's ultimately saying, right, it's, it's during that scene when Luke is obviously refusing the call. He doesn't want to go. He feels obligated to stay with Owen and Baru. Um, but <laughs> Ben is trying to convince him that his destiny is, is, is far greater than just being a farm boy. And he's really trying to indicate to, to Luke, to pay attention to what you feel, 
Pay attention to what you're really feeling inside right now. What do you really want to do? What feels right to you? Because that's what's going to guide you. That's the right thing to to do. And I feel like for for Ben in this moment, this type of wisdom comes from his own experience of choosing to go to Tatooine at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Um, you know, I I, I think for for Obi Wan at the end of Return of the Jedi, he's lost everything. He's lost everyone. Um, and, um, what feels right to him is to go to Tatooine and watch over Anakin's son, um, and see what comes to, to light of that. So I think when Ben Kenobi says to Luke 20 years later, you must do what you feel is right. He's speaking from that on his own experience of doing what felt right to him at the, at the worst experience in his life. What felt right was to just go watch over this this child to, to be their protector, um, and uh, so he gives that wisdom to Luke, and I really feel like that comes to kind of comes to its fruition in Return of the Jedi. Um, Luke deciding to go save his father, um, and and again this it, it's almost the the final conversation we see between Ben and Luke in, in the original trilogy is there on Dagobah and Obi-Wan is still kind of implying that Luke needs to go defeat Vader, right? He's more machine than man. You got to defeat him. But Luke, what feels right to Luke is that's my father. I can't kill him. And there's still good in him. So Luke is doing what he feels is right. And what feels right is having compassion for Anakin, for the man his father used to be. Um, so I feel like that that wisdom that Obi-Wan passes him at the beginning of his journey really comes to this beautiful point where he says, all right, I'm doing what feels right. And what feels right is to love my father, not to destroy him. So that is to me for that. That's something I really enjoy. The, uh, some of Ben Kenobi's wisdom is, is this reminder to always pay attention to what feels right. Yeah. And I, I do like that because I also feel that in many cases when the Jedi and particularly, you know, Obi-Wan and, and Yoda talk about feeling and trusting your feelings, it's linked to the force and what the force is telling Luke and the characters. Cause you know, it's um, because the Sith also do what, what feels right, you know, out of anger and, and hatred and spite and things like that. Um, and I think this is, this lesson really melds well with, what he tells Luke about the force and listening to the force and things like that. Um, and, and how those feelings uh, come about and, and are able to, to meld together uh, in a way, but yeah, no, it's, it's a great, it's a great lesson and a great, uh, I do like how you, you tied that into the return of the Jedi with, with what he did with his father. Um, and and that's really really cool uh, that it that it took <laughs> it kind of took that long yeah. to really to really go um, because if you'll remember he also there on Dagobah felt like he had to go rescue 
his friends from Cloud City, and that may not have been the right choice. So, but it seemed when Return of the Jedi, his feelings were lined up with the will of the Force, and it worked out. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, my my wise moment for for old Ben Kenobi um, is is given in the hold of the Millennium Falcon. Uh, your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. You know, uh, and. And, you know, I like this because, of course, he, he's he's teaching Luke to reach out with his his feelings through the force to, to sense the things around him. And it's a very physical thing. Um, but it's also uh, helpful because he's able to to utilize it in many different ways in the short term. It helps him blow up the Death Star at the end of the movie. Like, there's no doubt that that was directly tied in. Uh, but. I also kind of feel that it's tied in with your Revenge of the Sith moment, where or Reven- Return of the Jedi moment, excuse me, where he decides that he's going to go confront his his father and and try and save his father, because everything according to his eyes says that Vader is not going to turn. Vader is is the only one there. Anakin no longer exists. Vader serves the Emperor. He's on board the Death Star. The Emperor seems to have everything under control. The F- Imperial fleet is trapped. The Rebel Alliance fleet. Um, but yet he still pursues, ultimately pursues the, the reconciliation of his father in the darkest moment as he is dying, you know, at the hands of Palpatine. So, um, but yeah, I, I feel like it, that kind of continues on, uh, you know, your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. And that's why this hopeful farm boy keeps dreaming in the impossible. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like typical, the typical adage of, you know, there's more than meets the eye. Right. Um, don't judge a book by its cover. All of those things can kind of be l- l- lopped under that that heading um, of what Ben Sorry. Kenobi's what he said more than meets the eye, and I just immediately went to Transformers. So, oh, <laughs> nice uh, Transformers, um, more than meets the eye. Transformers, robots in disguise. Sorry, enough about that. Back to Ben. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, no, I, I I like the way you're connecting that as well, though, to that that decision Luke makes in Return of the Jedi. Um, he's taken that wisdom that that Obi Wan gave him um, to to look beyond just the physical realm, if you will, mm-hmm. right? To look at Darth Vader, you see an evil person mm-hmm. with a mask and um, does all these terrible things, but when you kind of look beyond that, when you look beneath that. You see a human being, you see his father, um, and uh, yeah, that's I love that. I love that take as well. That's really great. Um, Although it, it does help him in the physical, like I said, it helps him blow up the Death Star, and then it helps him yeah. grab the lightsaber in Empire, you know, in the Wampa Cave. So yes, yes, but yeah, um, right. So there's the, there's obviously that immediate payoff, specifically in A New Hope, um, right? Turning off that targeting computer, 
um, yes. is, is huge. Um, but right. And I think that's like the, the, the real spiritual message that Ben Kenobi gives Luke in that moment is there's more than just the tangible, right? That yeah. there is something that exists beyond you that you can tap into that's there for you. Yeah. Um, the lesson, the lessons aren't just one dimensional, right? Yeah. They can, they can yeah. be used and applied in a multitude of ways for sure. So, um, well then good old Ben sends Luke off to Dagobah to meet with Yoda. Mm. Um, and Yoda, Yoda, you seek Yoda. You, you know, know him? him. Take you to him. I will. <laughs> now we must eat. Come. <laughs> Perfect. Great. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my goodness. So the, the wisdom that I, there's obviously Yoda is a very wise character through all of the movies he's in. Um, but of course yes. I picked something from Empire Strikes Back and it's when he says, you will know when you are calm at peace, passive, um, what he's ultimately responding to there is, is Luke is worried about how am I to, how am I to know what's right from wrong? How am I going to know the good side from the bad? How do I know what choice to make? And Yoda says, you're going to know what you're supposed to do when you're at peace for. So I feel like this is a, there's like two dimensions to this. First off, um, you want to make big decisions from a place of peace. You don't want to make them in a time of conflict. Um, there's right. actual uh, uh, St. Ignatius. Um, one of my favorite saints uh, uses the the language of consolation versus desolation. St. Ignatius says, you never want to make a decision out of a pl- place of desolation because you're not thinking at your best. Um, so, you know, what Yoda's telling him here is first and foremost, you make those big choices when you are kind of at peace with yourself, but also it will leave you at peace. The decisions you make, the, the right choice will leave you feeling at peace. So um, it's kind of connected to the one before. Um, whatever feels right, whatever is truly right for you will leave you feeling at peace. Um, and I feel like Yoda kind of acquired this piece of of experiential knowledge, this wisdom from his decision to not reorganize the Jedi Order at the end of Revenge of the Sith. I mean, he he and Obi-Wan both know that there are obviously going to be other Jedi who are going to be able to disperse and scatter. But he he doesn't choose to just say, all right, Obi-Wan, you and I, we need to hunker down, find them, restart the Jedi Order, and, and retake the galaxy. Um, he kind of makes this decision that's kind of drastic, um, but he knows it's the right choice. He's going to go into exile, and he's going to wait on the living force to tell him what to do next. Um, and I feel like that's a, that's a decision that leaves Yoda at peace. It's a hard decision. I would imagine you're, you go from, you know, being a huge player in the galaxy to now just a, you know, a hermit and, and a tiny little planet, but Yoda knows the right choice because it leaves him feeling at peace. And I feel like that's the, that's the wisdom he passes on to Luke is you will know what is the right thing to do because of how it'll make you feel. Um, so um, once again, I'm going to go back to, you know, his Luke's decision to confront Vader in Return of the Jedi. Um, but to a little bit of a, a different moment, it's when Luke is talking to Leia before he leaves Endor. 
and he, you know, he's revealed to Leia the truth of their their lineage, the truth of who their their father is. But he also says to Leia, "I'm going to go confront him," and she really doesn't want him to. And Luke just says, "I have to try." And there's such a peace in the way he says that line. He is so at peace with this decision to go and try to get through to Anakin. And I feel like he he took that that piece of wisdom that Yoda gave him and really applied it directly here when he's when he's talking with Leia in that moment. This is a really hard choice to make. He could easily be killed. Vader can turn him over to the Emperor and do all sorts of crazy, horrible things to him. But he's at peace with this decision. How will he know what's the right the right decision from the wrong? Well, he looks pretty at peace when he dis, when he tells Leia he's going to go try. So mm-hmm. um, that's my wisdom that that Yoda gives to us is is um, knowing what's right from wrong because of how we feel in that moment. You know, I mean, very it's a very childish lesson, right? <laughs> you know, you say to a child, "How did it feel when you broke?" you know, your, your mother's vase. Oh, you felt bad. Yeah. You shouldn't have done that. (laughs) You know what I mean? So. Yeah. No, I I like that. And and it's a very good one because, you know, even, you know, just to, to apply it outside of star Wars, you always make a better decision when you've had a chance to step back from the intense emotions of a situation and really think it through and figure out, okay, what do I really need to do here? in order to make the right decision, the right call, you know? Um, so it's not anything new, but it is definitely something that we all need to be reminded of. Um, and, and the fact that the Yoda, it, you know, tells us that tells Luke that in the movies um, and, you know, in, in his first ever appearance uh, means it's an important one. So, uh, and it really definitely, uh, definitely, pulls you into sort of the mentality of a Jedi and, mm. and why they are detached and, and, you know, very much a, a monastic uh, meditative order, you know, especially, and we, we see that exemplified in the prequel Jedi, but um, it definitely is something that really kind of gets to the heart of, of how a Jedi operates. Um not what a Jedi is, but how a Jedi operates and how a Jedi makes decisions when they're calm, at peace, passive, and letting the Force and their own wisdom and experience help guide them in these decisions. So, um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. Um, my, <laughs> it's funny that you said it, you know, it's a little childlike because my Yoda piece of wisdom comes from attack of the clones Um, and it's not anything he says specifically but it is something that he teaches to obi-wan that even children have something to teach us Mm. even children have something to to give us some some wisdom some insight if you know how to look for it um because here he is you know 860 some odd years old uh teaching younglings and he asks them the question you know Partly because he wants to see what they say, uh, but partly, I think, also to teach Obi-Wan a lesson that maybe he's overthinking things uh, or not, you know, not considering things because 
well, it should be impossible to erase something from the, the archives, you know? So why would he even consider that as an option? But the children go, no, that's how, that's the only explanation. There's something there. Someone just erased it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that wisdom leads Obi-Wan to find Kamino and find the plot with the, you know, the clones and everything like that. It's, it's, you know, he teaches this to Obi-Wan and, and it's really kind of a small lesson. Um, in the grand scheme of things, but it's just, it's definitely something that myself having worked with kids a lot over my years, you know, in, in various, uh, different, uh, walk, you know, parts of life and things like that. I've worked with kids a lot, uh, that I've seen too, you know, they, they can be absolutely dumb and ridiculous, but if, you know, given the right circumstances and asked the right question, they can be quite insightful. Um, and a lot of the times, their thought processes are more pure uh, and untainted <laughs> than ours, because you know they don't have some of the life experiences that and uh, things that might prejudice us against considering things uh, that we've picked up over the years. So, but yeah. I love that you yeah. like that. I'm not surprised at all, and and. Yeah, it is a great, it's a great lesson, you know, the reminder of uh, just sometimes learning from, from young people because young people are so filled with awe and wonder at everything still, right? And we obviously mm-hmm. lose that ability as we grow older. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, I love that. And in a very interesting way, without it being directly tied into the the actual saga story, but that's exactly what the child is doing for Din, Din Djarin, right? Yeah. Um, this child is changing his life, um, and and in a, in a maybe too strong a word, but he's purifying it in a way too. He's kind of all of the all of the not so great parts of Din Djarin, which is just collecting bounty hunt, bounties for the heck of it, just for money, you know, uh, without any care in the world. Well, now all of a sudden there's this 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 child of pure innocence that is, I think in a way just helping him recapture the, that, that, that good innocence that he himself still has. Um, so yeah, really great point that, you know, that Yoda shares with Obi-Wan. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's, that's so good. Um, yeah, well, uh, we'll, we'll move now into the prequels, um, with, Good old Qui Gon Jinn, and mm-hmm. I'm hoping we don't over overlap here. I don't think we will, but we might. Um, but my my piece of wisdom from there's again a lot of wisdom that Qui Gon gives. Um, but my the one that stands out to me usually most of all is when he says, "Your focus determines your reality." Um, ultimately, telling us that where we put our energy, what we put all of our focus on, it's going to bring something to fruition. Uh, whatever you're working for, if you really put your focus into it, it'll come to pass. And in an interesting way, I feel like Qui-Gon lives that reality insofar as this prophecy of the chosen one, right? We, from the master and apprentice novel and now Jedi lost, we've seen a lot of how Qui-Gon has really been focused on the, the prophecies of old of the Jedi, and how important mm-hmm. they are, even though the majority of Jedi don't care care about them at all. Qui Gon is very focused on them, 
And I feel like in a really powerful way, that focus he's had on this specific prophecy of the chosen one, he's so focused on it that it becomes a reality for him. And I'm not saying that Qui-Gon literally makes that happen, but I think Qui-Gon himself, he was so focused on this prophecy of the chosen one that of course he gets to see it come to pass. He sees it made real in Anakin, um, which immediately when I was, when I was jotting down my notes, it made me think of the character of Simeon in the gospel of Luke, when the child, the, the baby child, Jesus is brought to the temple to be dedicated to God. And Simeon, a great prophet comes out and says, at last, my eyes have seen the salvation of God. The Messiah is here before me. Um, so Simeon is someone who spent his whole life apparently waiting for the prophecy of the Messiah to come true. And he finally gets to see it, but it's only in its, you know, infancy stage. And I feel like Qui-Gon in the star Wars story, he gets to see this prophecy of the chosen one in its infancy stage. He is so focused on it that it's, it's real and it's right here in front of him. Um, but of course this is the wisdom he offers to Anakin and this is Anakin takes this on so literally it leads to his downfall. Anakin becomes so focused on losing Padme that he makes it become real. He's so focused on her death that it's almost like that, that um, kind of tunnel vision of her just dying brings about her actual death. Um, Mm -hmm. And it also leaves, you know, leads him to losing Obi-Wan as well. And, so much else, but most importantly, Qui-Gon's wisdom there is in a weird way for Anakin, a foreshadowing of a warning, you know, um, wherever you put all your, wherever you put all your focus, it's going to take all your attention. And that's exactly what happens, you know, in revenge of the Sith, um, as Anakin becomes focused on the wrong thing. Yeah. Now, and that, that's something that, you know, it is it's such a truism uh even in our own world um you know qui-gon it really is sort of the spiritual center in many ways of the prequels and and this is just something that really you know helps to highlight how wise he is and and how integral he is to to that spirituality in this in the prequels um and how much how much is lost when he dies. Right. Uh, but it's, it's funny that, you know, this, every time we talk about this quote, cause we've talked about this a lot. Um, you know, your focus determines your reality uh, is I always jump back to 10 year old, 12 year old me taking my, my bike out uh, onto a trail for the first time, you know, and, and doing like trail riding for the first time. And, uh, I, I think it was my dad telling me, if you see a rock, don't focus on the rock, focus on pulling around it, you know, things like that. Do it. Don't, mm. so don't stare at it, uh, <laughs> and say, don't hit it. Don't hit it. Don't hit it. Cause you'll hit it, you know, find the path around it and you'll follow that. So, uh, and of course being 12 and dumb, I hit a rock and fell off the bike and he was like, I told you. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you're right. And, um, but I got it next time. So, um, so yeah, it, it is, 
every time we talk about that, my my brain goes back to that moment, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, it's it's not only is it practical um, in the physical sense like that, but it's also highly practical in the spiritual sense, the the mental sense, the emotional sense. It is it is incredibly important and prescient in every area of your life because whatever you're focusing on if you're focusing on the fact that you're mad at somebody you will stay mad at them it just you know it 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 doesn't heal anything but if you focus on the healing and the forgiveness you'll be able to move through it you know even if it's painful um you know it it, it's mm, it's so poignant and right and true that you know Qui-Gon hits hits everything with one little phrase you know and it really does it shows itself everywhere yeah. you know <laughs> yeah but yeah you're I, I do like your your example of how it, it affects Anakin because he does he becomes so caught up in the death of his mother that he obsesses over the death of Padme and it ultimately kind of ends up making it happen so yeah. yeah yeah well and 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 even in a even in a bigger way um Qui-Gon's wisdom here of, of focusing making reality it's also kind of a bit of a warning to the Jedi order they're so yeah. focused um on kind of maintaining their power and prestige and then even right at the end even though Qui-Gon is now dead but even at the end of Phantom Menace they're so folk they become so focused on who are the Sith and weeding out the Sith that they kind of forget about their more important duties. And obviously during the clone wars, they forget the most important duty, which is they were never meant to be soldiers. Right. And obviously the clone wars TV series raises that question all the time about how the Jedi have lost their way. Um, But I think Qui-Gon's wisdom here can also be applied to the Jedi order as a whole, that they become so focused on when in the war that they forgot they were never even supposed to fight it. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's funny you bring up the Clone Wars because that's where my Qui-Gon wisdom it. comes from. <laughs> Great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're going to season six, the lost missions where he starts communing with Yoda. And, you know, obviously a lot of what he's doing is he's, he's working Yoda up to the point where he gets Yoda to learn how to, uh, move on beyond death, you know, to, to become a force ghost essentially. Uh, but the lesson that he is teaching here, and again, I, this is not something that's specifically stated, um, like kind of like Yoda did in my previous point, uh, previous one is, but he's telling Yoda and reminding Yoda that even the master still needs to be the student. Mm you have to continue to keep learning. Um, and and Yoda has to take a moment in the next episode when he goes to meet the priestesses. He's like, I'm a Jedi master. I know all these things. And they're like, you don't know anything. <laughs> you know, and they they have to, you know, have him become humble about things. And he submits himself to the teaching at the end of the next episode. Uh, but you know that he he teaches Yoda this that that the master must always be the student and must always be learning and this he continues to pass on he passes it on 
to Obi-Wan at the end of Revenge of the Sith. I've got, you know, more training for you in your solitude. He passes it on to Luke, even as far into, you know, the saga as The Last Jedi. When he's reminding Luke about your failures, you need to teach through the failures and that you always have to be learning of this stuff. So, you know, he he continues to pass this on and continues to be, you know, that the the one who who seeks knowledge and seeks learning even though he by all accounts is the wisest person out there but he's also wise enough to know he doesn't know everything so mm-hmm. and that's that's where that comes in and so it's sort of i think really kind of reminds yoda cuz i don't think he didn't believe that before but i think it reminds yoda and focuses yoda uh, because he's been so focused on this war at this point that the, this is what's more important, you know, and yeah. that's something that he's able to continue to pass on to anyone who cares to listen to him in the future. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it is, it's such a, such a great reminder to, uh, to Yoda. And, and, and I love the way that you bring it into that, the, the following episode where, he is, you know, kind of, he, he has to be humbled, you know, and ultimately he is humbled by the end of revenge of the Sith. Um, but it's this, this reality that you don't know everything. Um, and you can't, and that's good and that's okay. Um, yeah. and right. And I think that's something that, that I've, that I really love about Qui-Gon is he really does seem to have that spirit of a never ending student. He's, he's oh, yeah. always seeking, um, more. He's always seeking deeper answers. Um, and even he, who's become one with the force, first Jedi to do it, um, is still teaching Yoda that I even, even I don't know everything still. Like I, I'm still learning yeah. quite a bit. Myself. I didn't get to finish my training. You right. know, he, he tells you I didn't get to finish this. You know, I, I only got so far. Um, so yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Love it. Um, yeah, uh, well, we're going to, we're going to close here with a couple of non Jedi finally. Um, and, and this is something I just, obviously there's a both from the Disney era. Um, I love that this is something that the, that Disney star Wars has been very intentional of doing is, is giving us these very wise non Jedi characters and these very, um, almost like force sensitive characters that also aren't force users. Um, I think it's a great concept of how, how we can, democratize the force. Um, and, and I love that that intentionality is, is something they've been really focused on. <laughs> um, I feel like it was there with George Lucas and I feel like he really instilled that in Dave Filoni who then also brought it into clone wars and you know, it's, 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 it's become something that's a, of great importance, uh, moving yeah, forward in, in star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for Maz Kanata, it, mine is, uh, when she's talking to Finn and she says, I see the eyes of a man that wants to run. Um, what I love is about, about Maz is she just has such a plethora of life experience because she's had this watering hole for, you know, a generation. And, um, I remember, you know, I actually really enjoyed talking about this uh, a couple episodes ago when we were talking about the planets of the sequels and how Takadana is kind of this oasis planet. Um, and Maz's mm-hmm. castle is that specific oasis spot where people go to kind of 
unload a bit, to free up from their responsibilities, and in some cases, flee from their responsibilities. And I think Maz Kanata is a character who has seen people at their most vulnerable and at their most volatile. And yeah. she is the type of character who's going to tell you like it is. Um, and that's oh, yeah. exactly what she's doing to Finn here. She's she's not judging him, right? You know, she's essentially calling him a coward, but she doesn't use that word, right? She doesn't um, she doesn't pass judgment. She just observes, you know, hey, I've seen I've seen your eyes in other people. And it's it's somebody who's afraid of something and they just want to run. Um, and of course, Finn is extremely offended because, again, she has, in a way, called him a coward. Um, but I think she's just telling him the truth. And I think the yeah. way that kind of comes to sit with Finn is, is Finn throughout the rest of the movie starts to really realize that he wants to be more than just this coward, um, that there, he is, there is something more to him. And, um, the, the way Mazm, she even tells him, she goes, hmm. like, you know how she does that? Like funny little sound where I don't know. It's almost like she knows there's something more to him. Like mm-hmm. I see right now in this moment, oh, yeah. you want to run. But she also sees who he's with. And I think Maz knows that he's a lot more important than he believes he is. Um, oh, yeah. So I feel like this this wisdom that she kind of offered to him that, yes, his story kind of began in this place of fear as someone who wants to run away. Um, but by the end of the by the end of the movie, he returns to, to rescue Ray or try to help rescue Ray. And. He, you know, especially at the end of his his arc, at the end of you know Rise of Skywalker, um, he really is a character of tremendous conviction, and he's in no way ruled by fear. Um, yeah, he's in no way running at all in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Oh, well, he runs into the fight, not away from it. Right. I mean, he literally leads exactly. a charge into the fight. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, I I love this this attribute of Maz that she's had such tremendous experience with so many people that it's given her this ability to really read people. And, and and I love that she's got the goggles. I love the look of Maz and I love that it's eyes. She, it's all about reading eyes. Um, yeah. And she kind of does even the same thing to Ray, but it's all about reading eyes. Um, and she's, she's just going to tell you what's there. She's going to tell you the truth. Um, I almost in a little way, like the look of Maz Kanata as a character, the way they designed her with the beaded necklace, the beaded bracelets they're in the, the particular hat she's wearing. She kind of does remind me of a stereotypical like palm reader or psychic in kind of Western mm-hmm. culture. Right. Um, and obviously this is these are kind of just like broad generalizations. But, you know, when they're a lot of times portrayed on TV, they're kind of they have a certain look to them. And I feel like they kind of tap that look a little bit with Maz that there is something like. She's the psychic reader. You can go to her. She'll read your tarot cards. <laughs> you know, she'll, you know, she, she can touch your hands, but for her, it's, she'll look in your eyes and tell you a truth about yourself or a truth of where you're going. Um, yeah. So I really like, I really like that element of, of Maz Kanata, um, and that wisdom that she has to offer. Um, this is our first one where we overlap. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. No, I, I, I wanted to pick up the, the, the Finn one here. Um, cause of course she, she teaches Ray and stuff too, but this, this is the one I wanted to talk about. Um, and, and you're right. She, you know, you essentially the lesson that is taught through her actions 
is that you can't run from your problems. You can't mm. keep running from your problems. Um, but she doesn't say anything about it. She doesn't tell him that. She's just like, you're running from problems. And that's what I can see. I can see that. And, you know, it's very exposing to Finn. Um, but she doesn't, you know, lecture him or anything like that. She's like, all right, fine. There's a couple folks over there that are about to head out of, out of town. You know, hop a ship with them and you'll be on your way. And essentially, you know, she's like, I'll help him out. And when the time is right, he'll figure out that he, that running isn't the answer. Yeah. So, and it just so happened that he found that out before he left Takadana, um, you know, in the short term uh, and continued to realize that and learn that, you know, over the course of the next uh, movie and a half. So, but, you know, the, the First Order blew up Hosnian Prime right as he was boarding this ship to get out of town. Uh, and that kind of sobered everything for him and made him realize this is, this isn't just me trying to get away. I have to do something. I can't run from this. I actually have to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And that's when he goes back to try and find Ray. And when she's nowhere to be found, that's when, where he gets connected with the rest of the resistance and what they are trying to do is because Ray is what matters to him right now, not the resistance. Yeah. Um, much yeah. like Han only cared about Luke and Leia, not really the rebellion, you know, in a new hope and empire to some extent. So, um, but yeah, you know, Maz, the, the lesson that she teaches, she's not gonna, you know, she's not the type to, to sit you down and be like, all right, so here's, here's the thing. You can't run for your problem. She's like, okay, fine. He has to learn it. And I'm not his mother. So fine. I'm going to point out to you that you've got your problem, but I'll help you out. And he's got to figure that out on his own as she, you know, hooks him up with transport to keep running. Uh, and he has to realize and come to that realization on his own for any real change to be made. And, you know, so that's how she kind of teaches him, passes that wisdom on that you can't keep running from your problems. Yeah. Because they'll catch you eventually. And you have to, you either have to confront them or they'll catch you eventually. So, well, and then going, you know, just to, to further that point you're making, she does the same thing to Han. Han, you've been, you've been running from this fight too long. Go home. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's true. Yeah. So she's going to, yeah, she's going to tell you like it is. There's, there's, there's no pulling punches for Maz. Um, No. And I love how you point out that she, you know, she immediately says, all right, fine. Those two over there, they're looking for help on on a transport to the outer rim. Go ahead. And I think she realizes, you know, at this point, you know, she knows Finn has spent some time with Han and Chewie, her boyfriend and Mm -hmm. um, Ray, whoever Ray might be. But Finn's gotten a small glimpse of what a family could look like, you know, what, well, what a sense of belonging could, could look like. So yeah. Okay, fine. Go run off with these, you know, these smugglers, you know, there's that, if that's all you want to be is just afraid, then go ahead and run away with these two random people, or you could stick around with these people that that care about you. Um, Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, um, Cool. I'm glad that we had one overlap. Well, let's see if we overlap with our last character with Quill. Um, Quill. 
I, could I have s- spoken. <laughs> um, uh, I could see us overlapping with this too, but we'll find out in a moment. Um, the I love his wisdom uh, with in the very first episode when he says, "You are a Mandalorian. Your ancestors rode the mighty Mythosaur." Um, we don't overlap. Great. Um, <laughs> I. I I love Quill so much in chapters one and two. And I mean, I obviously love him in seven and eight as well. Um, but Quill is ultimately saying to the Mandalorian, Hey, remember who you are. Be proud of that. And remember all that you're capable of because of who you are. Um, and, you know, I feel like for Quill, this is something he's come to know for himself because with his own ability, he won his freedom from servitude, right? That's something that he, he brings up a lot um, in his interactions with Mandalorian is he's not going to serve anybody else again and because he worked so hard with the skill of his hands to, to, to basically win his own freedom. Um, so the thing I love about Quill is Quill is an incredibly proud character, not arrogant, but proud, proud of who he is and what he was able to do because of his belief in who he was and what he was capable of, even though it sounds like he was sold into servitude, you know, um, he was basically an indentured servant. Um, you know, he was, he was somebody's property and yet he never lost sight of the fact that he had value and that he had skills that were, uh, important to the world around him. And he used that to get his own freedom. So in this moment of frustration for the Mandalorian, where he's struggling to ride this blurg, you know, he's like, oh, you know, come on, don't you have a speeder or something? And he just he gives him like this wake up call. He's like, you're a Mandalorian. Are you kidding me? You can't ride this little blurg. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of just like a dude. Come on. You're a Mandalorian. Um, and, and I love how this is kind of furthered up at the end of chapter two when when he comes back with the egg and he says in Mandalorian says to Quill, I'm surprised you waited. And he goes, I'm surprised you took so long. Um, cause he really believed him. Like when he goes to get that egg, Quill has no doubts that he's going to do it. It's a Mandalorian for goodness sake. Um, yeah. so, so this wisdom he offers to the Mandalorian, I feel like plants a seed in him. It's, it plants a seed in Dindajaran and, um, he's as his kind of story pro- progresses through the rest of the season, he becomes more and more this character who's willing to give his life to protect this child. And um, I mean, he, he literally does that against the Mudhorn, um, but more so with kind of walking away from the life of a bounty hunter. Um, more than anything, he's a Mandalorian. He's a mighty warrior, a mighty protector. Um, being a bounty hunter, whatever, like that doesn't really, that doesn't really offer Dindajaran the type of life he deserves or could have. Um, so I just, I love that for Quill, I think one of the things that is most true for Quill as a character is that he is an incredibly proud person and he reminds the Mandalorian to be proud of who he is. You're a Mandalorian. Yeah. You got this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah, and that, I think that, that truth just becomes more and more real for Dinda Jaren as the season goes on is that's right. I'm a Mandalorian. I have a foundling in my care. I'm a clan of two, right? I feel like all of that, you know, comes from somebody like Quill. And I would say that 
you know, at the end of chapter two as well, when he twice, he tries to offer Quill money. He hands him some money. He tries to hand him some money, you know, when he leads him to where the bounty hunters are keeping the child at the end of chapter one. I don't want your money. If you know, I know you're a Mandalorian and once you get rid of these guys, peace will come back to my to my planet. And then he again tried, you know, Quill, you know, I I could use a man of your skills. I can pay handsomely. Nope, I'm all set. I worked a lifetime as someone's servant. Not looking to do that again. But thank you for your help. Like, I just, oh my gosh, Quill is, to me, I mean, he is a character lifted right out of the Westerns. Like, you know, out of, out of, out of Western storytelling, there's, you know, the wise character who, who just has seen a lot and been through a lot in life and they have a lot to to share with you. Um, That is Quill. And, um, in a weird way, I think Quill is one of my favorite wisdom characters in all of Star Wars, even though he's a very new one and one that we're not going to get enough of um, now that he's right. obviously gone. But yeah, so that's my uh, cool stuff. What do you got? Well, I'm going to the end of the season. I'm going to when he comes back and he teaches Din and Kara um, to not judge someone by their past uh, because uh, Cara Dune gets in his face about, you know, working for the empire and he's like, excuse me, no. And, you know, explains his situation. Din is highly prejudiced against IG 11 uh, because of his, you know, prejudice against droids in general. And this one in particular about, you know, from episode one where he, he almost killed the child. Uh, and he teaches them that through the right, you know, he tells them through the right teaching and the right uh, nurturing and things like this, you can change. And that you can have this thing, you know, become different. And you can become something other than what your past says you are. Um, you know, whereas your you know heritage and things like that, like, you know, the Mandalorian, that's one thing. But like your your experiences, what your past says you should be or how you should act, you can be something different. And in the short term, we see that because Din accepts IG-11 uh, by the end of, of episode 8, uh, chapter 8, and uh, is, is a bit, you know, disappointed and, and a little sad when, when IG-11 sacrifices himself. However, I do think this is something that we're going to really see in practice in season two. I think I think that's a lesson that uh, the Mandalorian is still processing and and figuring out. Um, so yeah that that's the that's the the lesson that I'm I'm really liking because you know not only. You know, not only is it something where that he teaches both Kara and and Din this, but he actually showcases it with his own life. Like this is my experience. This I was I worked with the Empire, but that was not that is not who I am. You know, I am you know I am my own man. I I won my freedom, like you said, by the the skill of my hands, and I am my own man at this point. I I am not defined by that servitude. And to, you know, continue on what you were saying, you know, the Mandalorian tries to pay him again in episode seven um, <laughs> for his services. And he's like, no, 
but we'll come to protect the child. And I'm bringing IG-11. We're coming together. You know, that's, you're not getting just me. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I come with a plus one from now on. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So oh, I love that. And and that's such a great moment. The this the kind of way he kind of shouts down Kara. And I really love that moment because um right she's just kind of quick to judge him based on one little thing without knowing the the full truth about it, right? Um you know, oh, you were you were the enemy. You know, it's a very black and white way of looking. I was oh, yeah. sold into servant servanthood. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> That was not a choice of mine, but yet no. I rose above it and I, I, you know, I'm more than that, like you said. And again, like just to even bounce that back to the point I was making again about Quills, he's incredibly proud. He is so proud of who he is and he's not going to let somebody question him. Um, no. And uh, I also, by the way, I love the fact that IG-11 also like takes a step forward in that moment too, like ready to get oh, his yeah. back. <laughs> like. Yeah. No, he he's got Quill's back, and and if if Kara pushes the issue, she's going down. Yes. She is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. So yeah. No, I love it. That that's a great one too. Yeah. Oh man. There you go. Well, there you go. There are just some some pieces of wisdom from across the Star Wars galaxy. Um, all of our wise guys. All of yes, all the wise ones. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you know, um, you know, as always, if, if, if there are particular wisdom characters from Star Wars that you really like, definitely share with us who they are, or even if they're the ones that were on our list, um, you know, some of the things that you really love, the wisdom that they bring to the story, um, either to the story or to you personally, uh, either, both are really, both are really great to hear. Um, but we wanted to do a matchup for next week and do something a little bit different here. So uh, we're going to pit two of our characters from who we were talking about today against each other in a fight. If these two had to, if these two came blow to blow, who'd, who'd take it? And we're going to put it between Maz Kanata and good old Quill. Yeah. Yeah. They're both roughly the same height. So, you know, there, there's no height advantage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so true. Um but yeah, no, I'm very curious to see what people think about this. And I'm honestly, I got to figure out what I think about this because we just came up with this matchup right before we started recording and I haven't had a chance to consider yet. Uh, but I'm excited. I'm excited. Maz Kanata versus Quill. Who wins in a matchup? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so looking forward to this. Oh, But yes, Carl, if people want to weigh in on the matchup or talk about anything we discussed here in our her with our wisdom characters where can they do that sir uh we are on twitter at wampas lair uh also on facebook at wampas lair podcast you can always email us at wampas lair podcast at gmail.com um and of course we're on instagram the underscore wampas lair so plenty of ways to get in touch share your your love of wisdom characters and of course weigh in next week on the matchup Indeed. Uh, anything else you got for us, Carl? Any parting words of wisdom? <laughs> oh my goodness. I wish I had thought of something like that. Um, but all I can say is if you have been listening along and you want to stick around at the end, uh, we've got episode seven of the A New Hope radio drama coming up right after, right after this. 
Now you are fully informed, and all of these characters will make you wise if you listen to their teachings. Uh, that's all we've got for this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 396, The Wise Ones. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair. Star Wars, Episode 7, The Han Solo Solution. long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there came a time of revolution when rebels united to challenge a tyrannical empire. In the most desperate crisis of that rebellion, secret plans vital to the survival of the rebel alliance were placed in the memory banks of the astro-droid R2-D2. An unlikely group has gathered together to undertake a journey to Alderaan, where R2-D2 and his interpreter counterpart C-3PO must be safely delivered. Luke Skywalker, a young moisture farmer from the planet Tatooine, and Ben Kenobi, one of the last remaining Jedi Knights, have arranged for passage to Alderaan with a pair of reckless smuggler pilots, Han Solo and his Wookiee first mate Chewbacca, in their starship, the Millennium Falcon. But in Mos Eisley spaceport, where the group is about to begin its journey, the streets are a swarm with Imperial stormtroopers and their spies and informers. This Millennium Falcon of theirs is as fast as Captain Solo boasted is. We should be able to reach Alderaan without further complication. I... Stop a moment, Luke. Why? What is it? I had the feeling I was under observation. I don't see anybody. Nor I. Do you think those stormtroopers are still after us? No, the Imperials who followed us out the back door of the cantina went the other way. Then you're sure about this feeling? The sensation was strong. But it is less so now. Well, maybe whoever it was went away. Come, we'd better hurry on. The sooner we get Captain Solo's money, the sooner we can get off Tatooine. Oh, I promised him 2,000 in cash, but I've none of my own. We shall have to sell the land speeder. Suits me. I'm never coming back to this planet anyway. Uh, if I were you, I wouldn't be so positive about where the future will find me. Master Luke, Master Luke! Uh, oh, two, three, Pio, what are you doing here? I told you to wait by the speeder. We were doing precisely that, sir, when a search party of stormtroopers began sweeping the area. What? We were compelled to elude them by hiding among the stock at a used droid lot. <laughs> and whose idea was that? I'm afraid it was mine, sir. Perhaps R2-D2's deceitfulness is infectious. <laughs> Don't worry about it, 3PO. You were just being flexible. Oh, well, put that way, it doesn't sound quite so bad, does it, sir? <laughs> but this news is not good. Which way were the sweeps moving? Uh, that way, sir. 
converging on the center of town. But that's where we're going to have to go to sell my speeder. All the buyers are there. Then that is where we must go. It's imperative we get Captain Solo his money. We can't take the droids. There'll be Imperials all over the place. Well, if they're using standard search patterns, the area between here and the spaceport itself should be fairly clear by now. 3PO and R2 can wait for us there. Shouldn't one of us stay with them? No, you have to be there when the sale is made, Luke, to transfer ownership. And I don't want you venturing among the Imperials and the most icely sharpers alone. I guess you're right. Uh, 3PO? Sir? I want you and R2 to go to Docking Bay 94 at the spaceport and wait for us. Very good, sir. Ben and I have to sell the speeder. As soon as we're done, we'll meet you there. You can count on us, sir. I'm sure I can, 3PO. (laughs) When humans design machines with quasi-personalities, they never realize how very much that implies. (laughs) R2 and 3PO are an extraordinary pair. (laughs) You think so, too, huh? What about Captain Solo and Chewbacca? Ah, another curious pair. Look out for that robo-flatbed, Luke. I see it. Well, there is something more to Solo than meets the eye. I sense that he's not just another Karelian smuggler or minor outlaw. At the same time, he wishes people to think he's something other than he actually is. You think he can get us to Alderaan? He will try, I'm sure of that. What I meant was that... While he puts up a callous front, I suspect that the substance there is quite a different thing. And then there is the Wookiee. <laughs> Chewbacca. He's the first Wookiee I ever saw. What was that weapon he had, that rifle crossbow thing? That is a bowcaster, the traditional weapon of his species. Well, what's he doing co-piloting a starship? Now, don't be deceived by appearances, Luke. Wookiees aren't simply big, shaggy humanoids. Huh? They have an ancient culture with subtleties of its own. They are creatures with close ties to nature and a great affinity, in their own way, for the Force. Wookiees? Oh, yes. Solo's no ordinary criminal, or he wouldn't be likely to have a Wookiee for a companion. Nor, I think, would just any Wookiee be found roving the galaxy in his company. Chewbacca is an individual of some note, too, I think. Then you think we can trust them? Not rely upon them entirely, perhaps. And I certainly wouldn't want to subject Captain Solo to too much temptation... But I'm satisfied that he's a man who will keep his end of our deal. Well, all we need from him is passage to Alderaan. Indeed. Now, over to the left there is the establishment of a buyer and seller of vehicles. We might get a fair price there. Right. Looks like this place will buy anything that moves. (laughs) A lot of stuff that doesn't. And what can I do for you, humans? I want to sell this speeder. If we can get a fair price. Hmm. Yeah, I paid 2400 for it, and I put a lot of work into it. I think it's worth a lot more. 1500 is all I can offer you, human. 1500 Look, this land speeder's in great shape, even hmm. if it's not very pretty. Uh, we can accept no less than 2000 <laughs> Your grip on reality is fragile, humans. It's the newer models that are in demand now, not these old ones. I shall probably have to sell it at a loss. But it's still not a fair price. You touch... A responsive chord in my charitable nature, humans. Sixteen hundred. What? That isn't enough. That isn't enough? This speeder is worth more. This speeder is worth more. You can have his two thousand. Yes, you can have your two thousand, young humans. Thanks. Here, press your thumbprint on the transfer register. And here is your money. Let's be off, Luke. Uh, Thank you. uh, Thank you. Do I grow senile? Am I in second grubhood to fall prey so easily to a pair of humans? 
Well, there's advantages to the force that I'm just beginning to see, Ben. I would never have used it in that fashion if it hadn't been an emergency. Abuse of the force leads to the worst imaginable consequences, Luke. Always remember that. 2000's about the best we could have done. Nobody wants those old land speeders since the new XP-38s came out. Uh, 2,000 will suffice. We'll pay Captain Solo the rest of his money when we reach Alderaan. The main thing now is to get underway. Well, Solo's going to be happy. He looked like he wanted to get his hands on some cash awfully bad. Uh, no doubt he has debts in Mos Eisley. The underworld here boasts some pretty tough characters. They can be very unpleasant towards someone who owes them. Wait. Well, why are we stopping? I felt it again. The sensation that we're being observed... I still don't see anybody. Whoever it is, they've concealed themselves. Well, what should we do? Then? We'd better get to the docking bay as quickly as we can. Come, there's no time to lose. Judy, did you pick up our gear? After you left the cantina, Greedo showed up. He was out to burn me down. He said Jabba the Hutt's mad about that load of Kessel Spice we had to dump when the Imperials boarded us. I did tell him. But Jabba's put such a high price on our heads that every professional gun in this part of space will be hunting for us. Yeah, and if that wasn't enough trouble, Jabba gave Heater the job of finding us. I know Heater doesn't fool around. Who, Greedo? <laughs> nah, he was dumb enough to relax for a second. <laughs> I hope they throw him a nice funeral. It's Squeak. How do I know what he wants? Oh, I've been looking all over for you in the walk. And I noticed you found a Squeak, so? Big Bunchy wants to see you. He, uh, got a job for you. Well, then why'd he wait until we're chartered? It all came up at once. Listen, you can tell Bungie I said, who the hell needs... It pays 10000 in advance. An old man, a kid, and two droids, right, Chewie? Lead on, Squeak. What's wrong with the walk? Nothing. Look, wait over there for a second, will you? What's eating you? Well, I don't care what happens to the old man. Or that kid. This is real life, not some kind of game. Hey, Squeak. Yeah, huh? Tell Big Bungie he's got himself a starship. Now you're talking. Okay, what's the deal? A load of chat rooms doing tomorrow. You take it from here. Tomorrow? Look, we're hot and we're rapidly going critical. Jabba and Eater are on our necks. And the stormtroopers are probably after us too by now. Tell Bungie to find someone else. Hey, listen to me. Scram, Squeak. Okay, huh? Sure. A nervous, some people. Yeah, let's go in and get the Falcon checked out. I still get a funny feeling about that old man and the kid. I'm not sure what it is about them, but they're trouble. Sure wish we didn't need that money, sir. Listen, that's Heater. He's down there by the ship with his gang. Yeah, dump the gear and lock the door behind us so we don't get any more unexpected company. in there, Chewie. We can't let him damage the ship. Just have to out-bluff him. Keep your bowcaster ready. Here goes. I'm giving you one last chance, Solo. Come out, I've got you surrounded. If you do, you're facing the wrong way. Solo. You see, I've been waiting for you, Heater. Well, I expected you would be, huh? We're not the type to run, are we, Chewie? Stand right where you are, Heater. And tell your circle of close friends there not to look so anxious with their guns. They're just showing proper respect for your reputations. Oh, my boy, there are times when you disappoint me. Why haven't you paid us for that load of castle spice you lost? I told Jobby get his money. And why did you have to fry poor Greedo? 
After all that he and I have been through together, I... Well, it was my taste in drinking buddies, partly, but mostly it was because you sent Greedo to fry me. Oh, no, and why would I do that? You're the best smuggler in the business. You're too valuable to kill. Greedo was only relaying our natural concern at the delay in payment. He wasn't going to burn you. Oh, no? Well, he thought he was. Son, you must understand, I can't make an exception, much as I like you. Where would poor old Heater be if he let his pilots dump their shipments and then show empty pockets when we ask for our money back? You and Jabba don't stick your necks out, Heater. We do. And that's what you're paid for. (laughs) And when you fail, it's bad for business. And you think it would be good for business to shoot it out with Chewie and me, is that what you think? Nobody said Go ahead, you got plenty of guns behind you. Just telling my associates here before you and the Wookiee arrived, you're both too valuable to fry out of hand. <laughs> well, as it happens, I can pay you back, but I need a little time. Ah, yes. That charter. I've already had word that you were talking to someone in the cantina. How much are they paying you? Enough to square with you, Heater. That's all you need to know. Something's going on in Mos Eisley. Streets are filled with stormtroopers. Imperial spies circulating everywhere. Even my sources can't find out what it's all about. But this sudden appearance of passengers who are eager to pay well for a quick lift-off may be tied to it somehow. So? Perhaps there's more money to be had by bargaining with the Imperial. Uh-uh, here. Selling people out to the Empire isn't our style, you know that. Oh, hon. Now, how do you and the Wook ever expect to get ahead in this life? (laughs) Well, some days we're content just to stay even. Now, do we do it my way, or do you and these goons still want a piece of me and Chewie? Well, I am a businessman, um, above all, Han, so for something extra, why don't we make it 25%? I'll wait, but not long. You'll get it. I'd better. If I'm disappointed again, it won't be any two-for-the-credit twerp I'll put on your trail. Next time, I'll hire Bubba Fett himself. Don't get yourself in a lather, and I'll pay you. Because I choose to. Mm -hmm. Now get out of here. That should be Docking Bay 94 just ahead of two. I don't seem to see Master Luke around anywhere. Perhaps we'd better go into the bay and wait. (laughs) The door is locked. Now what shall we do? (gasps) Look, Artu, more stormtroopers. But we have nowhere to retreat to. This is a dead end. Wait, where are you going? Artu, Artu. What do you think you're doing at that shop door? Artu, have you got completely well, out of your Well, what do you two want? Oh, oh, oh. Come on, come on. I haven't got all day. I'm on my way out. Oh, yes. As my counterpart here has well, just explained, we are here to see if you need any maintenance jobs done. Maintenance? Uh, maintenance. We belong to the Skywalker Technical Maintenance Service. Never heard of it. But of course you haven't, sir. We're a new organization. That is why we are canvassing the area for the, well, our publicity campaign. Publicity campaign? Yes, I see. What? Well, what I meant was, we are offering a free trial service. My counterpart and I will repair, recalibrate, and run system checks on any equipment you desire. Oh, uh, free of charge, mind you, as a special introductory offer. Yeah, come back later. I'm uh, on my way out. Sir, I... Yeah! 
As my counterpart just reminded me, this is a one-time-only offer. We'll have to move along to the next shop if you are unable to accept it. Uh, well, the energy lathe is running out of sync. Oh, we'll have it fully functional in no time. Wait, we are to. All right, all right, go to it. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. Your equipment will be just like new, sir. Like it used to be will be just fine. Skywalker maintenance. You won't regret this, sir. Here come the stormtroopers. Quick, Artie, inside. Lock the door. Sorry, Master Luke, we were so worried about you. Are you two all right? Yes, sir. Why didn't you wait inside the dark? It was locked until a moment ago. You have no idea what Arthur and I have been through. We'll have to hear this later. We must move as quickly as we can. Are we still being followed, Ben? I'm nearly sure of it. Once or twice I thought I caught a glimpse of someone keeping well back trains. Come. Come on, Arthur. Look, there's Chewbacca waiting at the door. We're all here, my friend, and we have the money. When can we raise ship? Good. Let us proceed. After all Solo's bragging, I can't wait to see this great ship of his. Well, don't expect a smuggler's starship to belong on beauty, Luke. <laughs> what? That's a starship? So this is the great Millennium Falcon he's been telling us about. What a piece of junk! She'll make 0.5 over light speed, kid. What? She's got the highest lift mass ratio around. Enough to step away from any Imperial ship. And her weapons rating's just plain illegal. You think this old wreck will hold together? Better watch it, kid. We don't like anybody knocking her. <laughs> the Falcon may not be much for looks, but she's got it where it counts. Right, Chewie? <laughs> I've added some uh, <laughs> special modifications of my own. Uh, Captain Solo, we have no time to lose. Uh, uh, Chewie, get up in the cockpit and start the pre-flight rundown. Okay, now you can show us how this thing performs. Just a second there, boys. There's still a little matter of my good faith money. Two thousand in cash, if I remember right. It'll be a happier trip all around if we get that out of the way first. Very well. Luke, here's your money. <laughs> oh, it's funny how this stuff brightens your day, isn't it? Aren't you going to count it? Don't you guys think I trust you? Besides, I got the whole trip for that. Now, we're a little rushed, so if you'll get aboard, we'll get out of here. Captain Solo, I have reason to believe we may have been followed. Well, my solution for that is to haul jets. Up the ramp and to the right, gents and droids. Make yourselves comfortable in the forward compartment. I'll disconnect the umbilicals and we're off. Very well. Come, Luke. R2-3PO. Come on. Hello, Captain Solo. May I say what a pleasure it is to make oh, you quick? Look, I'm not too fond of machinery that talks back. Now, get on up there with the rest of them. Well, I... Smart-mouthed kid. Not to mention that old relic who's in charge of this crazy excursion package. Oh, how come I never get the cake jobs, huh? The easy ones. Everybody with me. Stop that ship! 
Oh boy, stormtroopers. Hey, my shit! If that's how you feel about it. Closing fast. Oh, my day's complete. Yeah, our passengers must be hotter than I thought. Angle deflector shields astern while I make calculations for the jump to light speed. Stay sharp, Chewie. There are two more battle wagons converging. They're going to try and cut us off. What's going on? It's a going away party. What's the matter? Didn't you get an invitation? Imperial cruisers. Yeah, you guessed it, old man. And it looks like they want our hides any way they can get them. Why didn't you outrun them? I thought you said this thing was fast. Watch your mouth, kid, or you're going to find yourself floating home. They're firing on us. Go back to the acceleration chairs and strap in. We're making the jump to light speed. Hang on to your pelts. We can pull this one off. We got it made. Here goes... The Millennium Falcon and her oddly met passengers and crew have managed to escape Tatooine. Before them looms the trip to Alderaan, and although they don't know it, something else awaits them too. The Empire's awesome battle station, the Death Star. Star Wars, Episode 7 by Brian Daly. Based on characters and situations created by George Lucas. Featured in the cast were Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, Bernard Barrons as Ben Kenobi, and Perry King as Han Solo. The series was directed by John Madden, with sound mixing and post-production by Tom Vagley. Music by John Williams. Sound design for Lucasfilm by Ben Burt. Story editor for the series was Lindsay Smith. Casting and production coordination by Mel Saar. Executive producer was Richard Toskin. Executive producer for Lucasfilm was Carol Teitelman.